Thanks, Rob. Yeah, we are excited about the spring coming up and uh, love the opportunity to worship outside. We love that space and hope that you'll come, come join us for that. But today we're going to do what we do, worship God together, open his word, see what he might be speaking into our lives today. So go on and open up to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, we are nearing the end of our study in the book of Romans as we uh, began last week. Um, looking at this final chapter and uh, a chapter that I hope you found may have been a little bit more profound than you initially guessed beyond just simply a list of names. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can just slip up a hand. We'll have people walking around and you can grab a Bible from them if you need it. But what we see beyond just a list of names is a community of faith, a family on mission. And that really is the heartbeat of this church, a community of people learning together what it means to follow Jesus. And even as we looked at uh, two weeks ago at how God was awakening this dream in Paul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to live into that God-given identity as an apostle, a sent one to the nations, to the Gentiles. And in the same way, it's not just simply this unique individual encounter that Paul has as an extra special person who has been bestowed with gifts by God, but instead Paul, simply as a follower of Jesus, just like all of us, been given a unique identity and a role to play in the kingdom and a community around him to help him live into that role. And so he began asking, processing this question that is so much of the DNA, the core of this church is, what is the God dream that God is trying to awaken in you? What is that unique name, identity that he has given you? And even as we looked at last week, we see that as important as personal identity is missional community. That yes, we need to know who we are, and who we belong to. We need to know what God has called us to do, but just as important is we need to know who God has called to do that with. And so as God is stirring up dreams or maybe reawakening dreams that you've given up on or these gifts that God by his spirit has given you in your life, you have a role to play for his kingdom. And that is the church. The church is the people of God living in to the reality of God. And so what, just celebrate a few things uh, is that this week, actually Tuesday, I believe, uh, Jonah, we shared a few weeks ago as we were talking about unreached people groups and, and uh, the call to the nations that we believe that God has given um, every church, every believer, but at Grace Monroe that we've tried to lean into is to go where no one else is willing to go. And so uh, Jonah has, uh, has taken on this call, this task of trying to raise uh, funds to send kids in Palestine and the West Bank to Young Life camps this summer. Initially, we shared that he had a goal of raising $3,000 to send kids, about $100 a kid, uh, to go to summer camp this summer. Um, and that's across all Israel and Palestine. And, uh, and so trying to raise $2,000, send 30 kids to camp. And as of this morning has raised over $15,000. So that's 150 kids that are going to get to go to Young Life Camp this summer. From, uh, and we shared the, the stats in, in Palestine that considered an unreached people group. In other words, less than 2% of that population would can identify themselves as 
Christian. And so we want to pray for Jonah. He's headed over there. Uh, that fundraiser, for those of you that don't know, he'll be hiking the Jesus Trail. It's a 40-mile trail from Nazareth to Capernaum and uh, kind of a, the old school elementary school walkathon. But and probably the coolest place on the planet. And so I want to pray for Jonah. what we do here as a church. And so I just want to invite Jonah to come on up. And, uh, and just we want to affirm you that your church, we go with you as you go. And so Jonah, just come stand up front. I'm going to ask everyone else to stand up. And a few of you, if you all come forward and just let's lay hands on Jonah and, uh, and bless him, send him. Um, that he would represent Jesus in that place well. He's going to be hiking with some of the other Palestinian Young Life leaders, uh, that he would be an encouragement to those young leaders as they pour out their lives for the sake of kids, uh, and uh, that God would watch over him. So let's just pray out loud. If you're at your seat, just invite you to extend a hand of prayer. We'll pray over Jonah, over the ministry of Young Life in the Middle East, and uh, over this trip, and I'll pray in just a second. Let's pray. So yes, Lord, we thank you that you have stirred in Jonah this heart, this desire to be used by you to obey your voice as you call him forward, even if that means going across the, the ocean into a place that most people would not go. And so we do ask that you watch over him, you guard his life, guard his heart, and Lord, uh, that we know you go before him, that you'll walk beside him, and that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are in him. And so we pray, give him wisdom and discernment that he could see with your eyes, uh, that he would have profound conversations, be an encouragement and a blessing to the people that he encounters. And Lord, we also thank you that for the, the money that he has raised to be able to be a blessing, that 150 kids this summer, at least, are going to get to hear your love, your grace in Jesus Christ. And so we pray for just a, a profound movement of your spirit in that place. We pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. God, we pray for peace in souls as people call in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, will you make yourself known in the place that you first made yourself known? And so, Lord, we ask for a profound work, and we thank you that you embody that here in Jonah. And so we send him forth with the blessing, the commissioning of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have any questions, I'm sure Jonah would love to tell you more about what he's doing and ask you. And, uh, and it's not too late to give if you want to still be a part of sponsoring kids to go. But, uh, and so that's one dream. But the other is that, you know, two weeks ago, maybe you, you, many of you are a part of this, so you know this. But two weeks ago, we, uh, we were able to host a date night for foster families in our community. Uh, several months ago, God stirred in a few of the ladies of our church a dream of being a blessing. How do we love our neighbor? And this area of foster care kept emerging and coming up. And then realizing that there are all these, that one of the biggest stats in foster care is that the majority of people who begin to foster begin to t take into their home the most vulnerable kids in our community who most need a safe place. Most of those families that take a, a child in their home, the majority of them will quit fostering within the first year, except for one difference. Those who have a care team of people around them to bless, to love, to support, to encourage them as they open up their home to these kids. 
And uh, then we realized as this dream is emerging and these people, and they're just faithfully taking one step at a time, hearing from God and just doing the next thing and asking God, okay, God, you, you, you've put this passion in our heart. There's an opportunity in our community. What does it look like? It's the same thing all of us should be asking, right? And then realize there's a whole lot of people in our community. Like we do that for people in our church and there are churches all over Walton County that if somebody in their church is fostering, yes, amen, build a care team of support around them. That's the minimum we should be doing as a church. But then realizing there's a whole lot of foster families in our community that aren't a part of a church. And so in other words, there's this place that these people that most need support and love, and we know that the most supporting and loving place ought to be the church of Jesus Christ, amen? So how do we love our neighbor? And so they decided, well, why don't we go be that for people who don't have that kind of care around them? And so one of those opportunities two weeks ago hosted Friday night, I think there was 40-something 50-ish kids that were here, uh, lots of families from the community. And just to say, we see you, you're not alone, we want to bless you. And so I just wanna affirm that, it's just that step forward in faith, one step at a time. How do we intentionally engage, reach, love our neighbor? I think about this Thursday, many of you gathered up here to worship, to pray, to create space, to intentionally minister to, one, to each other. Now, you may think that the staff thought that would be a good idea. That didn't come from the staff. That came from a handful of guys that, that um, most, thir- I mean, sorry, most uh, weekdays, they, they gather in here at 11, a, at 11 o'clock, and for 30 minutes or an hour, they just were worshiping together, praying for each other, praying for our church, and just made that a regular rhythm. And as they be, were praying and worshiping, they realized, you know, one of the best things we could do as a church family is just to pray for each other and minister each other. And so what if we just created an opportunity and that we just worship together with no agenda except just to pray for any needs that emerged? And so they came to me and they said, hey, could we do this worship night? They're like, yes, yes and Amen. And so uh, Thursday night, many of you gathered in this space and uh, just simply just worship God to pray and minister that came out of the dream of a handful of people that said, we want to do something. This is how God is leading us forward. And then afterwards, uh, immediately the text I was getting is, hey, can we do this every month? It's like, yes, yes. Guess what God is awakening in you? Then how can we as the family of God, the community of faith, uh, walk with each other into those dreams? I'm telling you these stories again. So that you might be thinking, okay, Lord, what is it for me? Who am I to you? What name do you call me? What what gifts have you given me? And who have you put around me to walk in this with? I sat down with a lady. Actually, I'll just say who it is because she's right there. Allie, a couple weeks ago, I'm gonna embarrass you, I should have gotten permission, but has this super cool store downtown, uh, Relove, and, um, and a consignment shop. And, but out of that, God has been uh, stirring in her this dream of how can this gift you've given me to be able to, to take people's old things and make them beautiful and, uh, and be a blessing to our community. And so has this dream, and it's still being figured out, like, what would this look like? How can, the, how can we as a community surround that dream? But to take this gift, this resource that she has, and say, how can we create a clothes closet to bless the people in our community that might have a need? To bless, maybe it's a foster kid. It's a 16-year-old girl that, hey, here's, here's an amazing, not some dusty old clothes that nobody wants, but here's some cool outfits that you'd be proud to wear to school. How can we bless you that you feel seen and loved? How can we create space 
to, to give you a, a tangible need so that you can feel the tangible love of Christ. Amanda Stewart, a few weeks, about a month ago, uh, texted and said, hey, this is what God's stirring in me. I realize she's, uh, she's going through doula training. And there's another term for that. Anyway, if you don't know what it is, Google it. And she realized, she's like, there's so much care for mothers at, on the way to delivery. But what are we doing for mothers when they're at their most vulnerable on the other side of delivery? And what would it look like for the church to be a postpartum care space for moms? And I realized as a pastor, I mean, I can't tell you how many prayer requests I have uh, of after the pregnancy, so much celebration, so much fun. We love the new baby. And there's this mom that's like, I'm actually struggling. But here, Amanda, the gifts and the passions God has given her, saying, what if, we, what if we built a care team around these moms in those first days, weeks, months, as they are processing through this new stage of life? I love that. And again, I'm telling you these stories. Why? So that you'll think about what your story is meant to be. Right? Because you have one. And it matters. And what I want you to hear is that the church exists as a place not for some super spiritual staff people to go do work and hopefully you can volunteer a couple hours a week to do something. No, the church exists as the community of God as each is called to live into the identity and calling and gifts that God has placed on their lives, which means you. You. You have a role to play. You bring something to the table that we need. What is the dream God is wanting to awaken and you, this is the kind of community we want to be. And so last week we talked about Romans 16 and Paul's community. These people that he was greeting that had been a blessing to him in the work that he had done, that he had never operated as a lone ranger. And we saw the people that he named. We saw the problem among this community of such a diverse collection of individuals. You had men and women Greeks, Jews, Romans, Asians, slave, free, rich, poor, all living together in this common community of faith. It was ripe for division. And yet God gives them a practice in which the promise of God to reconcile a people, to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell. That practice called hospitality, of opening our hearts and our homes to one another. We talk about how you, the word greet, you see over and over again in Romans 16, greet, 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 it isn't just simply a say hello to, it is actually, the, the meaning of that word is to open yourself to, to welcome with an open heart, to receive warmly. And in a community of faith, it's beyond just simply saying hello to each other, we're great at that, but we can say hi all day long and never actually see or know or open ourselves to anyone. Amen? And you've probably been on both ends of that. There's probably been some times that you've walked into a room and you're like, I, I just don't have anything. I'm going to put on the face and I'm going to tell everyone I'm okay. And I'm going to get back in my car and get home as fast as I can. And there's also probably some times that you stood in a room as somebody walked in that needed to be seen, needed to be known, needed to be cared for. And we just didn't have eyes to see them. And so what does it mean to be a place that we truly greet, receive warmly, accept and love one another. 
So Paul says over and over again, greet, greet, greet. And then Romans 16, 16. As up to that point, it's been Paul sending his greeting to, to, to affirmation, to the, his embrace of these people who have been such a blessing to him, giving them value and honor, recognizing them, affirming them. But then in 16, 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, don't worry. We're not starting a new Sunday morning tradition. Shake a hand, hug a neck, kiss the face of the person next to you. But it does, uh, it, it actually, there's five different times in the New Testament that Paul writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. So what is that about? It's about intimate closeness. And being open to one another, receiving one another that I am with you, I, am, I see you. I pause long enough to open up my heart to you. And the, 16th, the rest of 1616, not only to greet one another, to create this community of openness, of welcoming, of receiving, but that all the churches of Christ greet you. In other words, you are a part of, by being a part of the body of Christ, being, being brought into, by your faith in Christ, being brought into the family of God as sons and daughters of the, of the true king. You're part of a loving, welcoming, embracing family that is an even bigger family than what's just in this room that receives, celebrates, and values you. This is the power of the church in the world. And from the first days of the church, Satan has had one mission, to tear it apart and to tear it apart from the inside out. At first, he tried to tear it apart from the outside in and persecution couldn't do it. In fact, all that persecution did was made it stronger. Why? Because we had to actually rely on each other. So if that doesn't work, what will work? It's exactly what Jesus prayed against or prayed for in John 17. God, make them one even as we are one. If I can't tear them apart from the outside in, I'll tear them apart from the inside out. And we have watched that decade after decade after decade, even up to and maybe even more so today. And yet the church created by God, the common identity in Christ, living into our giftings, receiving, embracing one another, is the hope that the world is longing for. We have, this is good news, this is gospel. We have what the rest of the world is desperate for. The rest of the world is not desperate to come sit in a pew and uh, listen to a, a you know, slightly above average talk and sing some songs. I can do that with a podcast in my Spotify playlist, alone in my car. But the church is, I mean, what the world is longing for is to be seen and known and loved. And we come together in this space to remember who we are, to be encouraged together, to dig into the word that the word would take form in our lives and then to go be empowered to live this thing out the rest of the week. We are living in an epidemic of loneliness. The Harvard Graduate School of Education recently did a report just a year ago studying loneliness in America, and this is their findings. Our report suggests that 36% of all Americans 
including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. That means in this room, if we're just average, one out of three of the people in this room would say, on a spectrum of not lonely at all to serious loneliness, I find myself on that far end of the spectrum. And if you're a young mom, half, half of you, and if you're under 21, 61%. That's appalling. But here's also what it is. An incredible opportunity for the church to be who the church was always meant to be. And when we start to think that the church is irrelevant or the world tries to convince us, no, 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 everything but. We actually hold the keys to the deepest longing of the hearts of the people around us. Do you believe that? You have access to what your heart craves and what the world needs. And this was their key recommendation. This is from the Harvard, I mean, the Harvard School of Education. Their key recommendation was this. Actually, you can put it on the screen. We need to return to an idea that was central to our founding, talking about our country, and is at the heart of many great religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. In other words, Harvard, Harvard is looking at the study and what is their, their key finding? We need to get back to the church. I mean, they don't word it that way. But this is what Jesus offers the world. An invitation to belong to this missional community, to a family that sees you, that knows you, that loves you, because we have a God who in Christ sees us, knows us, and loves us. At, Roman, at the end of Romans 16, even as Paul is writing this letter, he's surrounded by a team. He addresses Timothy, my fellow worker. Elsewhere, he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. And some of his future letters, we have them recorded in Scripture, will be addressed to Timothy to empower and build him up as a young follower of Jesus and leader. We have Tertius who I shared with you last week. His name means third. It's a slave name. And as Paul writes, who wrote this letter. In other words, he was a scribe with Paul. But what I love is that Paul doesn't just leave him as an unnamed anonymymous scribe. He calls him out. In fact, it's, you can imagine Paul sending these greetings out and being like, we here from Corinth, we greet you. Tertius, give him a shout out. And in a community, in a society where Tertius would have had no belonging, no identity, and no voice, Paul names him and elevates him and recognizes him. We have Gaius, whose house it seems that Paul is staying at. He says, who's host to me and to the whole church. Gaius, who must be a man of influence and means that he has a house big enough to host the house church there in Corinth. Everastus, the city treasurer. Now we'll talk about him next week as we look at what it means to dream kingdom dreams for our workplace. And then Cordus, our brother, our family member, which is Cordus means fourth. It's another slave name. 
And so we see in the life of Paul the fruit of the relationships of the people he was called to reach, both individuals and Jews, I mean, churches, Jews and Gentiles, but also the fruit of the relationships of the people God was, that Paul was called to go with. And this is the life that we're invited to in Christ, this three-dimensional way of life. So if we were sitting at Waffle House, and many of you have had this, uh, this experience with me, at some point during our breakfast or over coffee, there's a good chance that I would pull out a napkin. And on that napkin, I would draw a picture as part of our discipleship conversation to illustrate a point because it's easier sometimes to, to see things in images than just in words. Well, unfortunately, there's too many of us for me to draw a napkin for every one of us. And so, praise be to technology, there's a couple of things that we wanted to look at this morning. I don't know if we can pull this up or if this is going to work. Supposedly. Yes. All right. All right. Well, maybe it won't work. Oh, we got it. Okay. So everyone got a piece of paper, right? And just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a, full, a few tools. And it's going to move from a sermon to a workshop. Because if it's just theory and ideas, it's pointless. And I have no interest in giving you pointless theory. One of the core, uh, core concepts that is central to who we are here at Grace Monroe is we, we call it this three-dimensional kind of life. That Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? What did he say? To, you know, before love one another, what was before that? To love, to love God, right? With all your heart, your soul, and your mind, with your whole being. And, and then he says what? To love, to love one another, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says, this is Matthew, he says uh, that all of the law and the prophets, the entire Bible hangs, is dependent upon those two commands, to love God and to love one another. Now, as the New Testament continues to move forward, the, that uh, there, we begin to get this sense that there's a way that we are meant, we're created to love one another as family, but also this call to love, to sacrificially, humbly give our lives to those outside the kingdom, the not yet Christians in the world, to live on mission, to love the world as John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And we, Jesus, John 20, 21, are to go, are sent just as the Father sent Jesus. And so we see even right there, this three-dimensional, oh, did that work? Cool. So fancy. All right. This three-dimensional way of life, just pretend I'm drawing on a napkin in front of you. A life lived up. <laughs> My handwriting is amazing. A life lived in and a life lived out. A life lived up in relationship to God, a life lived in, in relationship with other believers, growing in our love for one another. 
but a life lived out on mission, engaging, intentionally loving those in the world, the not yet Christians that surround us. This is what it means to live the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. Now, I give this to you as a mirror, because even as I say this, I, I want you to be even asking yourself, okay, where am I on this? Like on a scale of zero to 10, in terms of growing in my relationship with God, and you can even just, you know, no one's looking, just even write it down. You're like, what do you say? Where am I when it comes to this upward relationship with God? Non-existent, or thriving, flourishing, intimate. It's a good, it's a deep walk with Christ. Where I feel like he knows me and I know him. In. Like, how are you doing when it comes to relationships with other believers? Accountability, encouragement, growth, or even as Hebrews says, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Is that a three? I mean, I, I come to church and a few people know me by name, or is that, is that a nine? I'm intimately growing deep with a handful of other brothers and sisters. Out. How's that going? Zero. I'm not intentionally living, serving on mission for anyone else. Or 10, I, I am, I'm engaging intentionally in my workplace, my neighborhood, in the community, building friendships with those who don't know Jesus. That's not meant to produce or to, you know, create guilt. It's just simply a kind of a, a self-assessment. Where would you say you are in this? Now that triangle, we would say, is the foundation of everything we do at Grace Monroe is that everything we do would be three-dimensional. Because if you think about it, it's, yes, it applies to the individual, but it also applies as a community, that really the church really is just a bunch of individuals living up in and out together, all growing in the relationship with God individually, but also together, all growing in relationship with one another, all living on mission, yes, individually, but also collectively together. But here's the thing. We have a tendency to bend more towards one or two of them than the other. Now, Jesus lived this perfectly, but we have to every now and then sort of recalibrate. So even when you look at your own triangle, and hopefully you're honestly assessing as we do this, and you would probably naturally, there is one or two of them that are going to fall low on, on yours. So in other words, you're like, yes, Jesus and I, you know, worship is intimate, prayer is, is, is intimate, I've got some, some great uh, believer accountability friends that we live together as family, loving each other, serving each other, caring for each other. But if I'm honest, I'm not really doing anything to serve others. I, I don't really have relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Or maybe it is, man, yeah, Jesus and I are tight and I am serving my tail off. But if I'm honest, there's not really one that knows what's going on in my heart. Here's what happens if we don't recalibrate. And so the question becomes, how do I add more of the other? How do I lean into the other? Is if we are living simply up and out, and there is no end, I'm not known, I'm not living in community, we are moving towards burnout or exhaustion. And maybe you've been there. If we're living simply up and in, a great relationship with God, good relationships with each other, but there is no out in our lives. We are moving towards a place of being stagnant. And maybe you've been there. And then if we're living 
in and out. We have great relationships with each other. We're living, serving the world, but there's no connection to God, then we're just simply lost. I share that with you to say, okay, where am I personally? But those of you that are part of a grace group or a community, this is how we also should be assessing how's the health of our group. Now think about a Bible study you've been a part of. How often has, or, or, or a, a serving team that you've been a part of, how often has it been defined by two of the three? Amen? Anyone else identify with that in their lives? Think about your own family sitting around the kitchen table. How would you assess? And then the question is, how can I lean into the place where I am lacking? How can we deepen our relationship with God or with one another? How can we live intentionally in the world? Now, when it comes to that inward peace, 59 times in the New Testament, we are given a command to one another, each other. In Romans 16, it is greet one another. And in fact, I said already that five times in the New Testament, greet one another with a holy kiss. But of those 59, the most frequently occurring one another, 17 of the 59, in fact, is to love one another. And that doesn't mean simply like, be affectionate towards, be besties with, but it's that sacrificial, humble love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. To love one another, a community. Where you're patient and kind. Six times we're told to encourage, to build up one another, or as Hebrews 10 says, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Four times we're told to forgive one another or bear with one another. I would say if there's a poison in community or a poison in families that I most often see, it is precisely this, unforgiveness. That that bitterness blooms as a root and it bears some painful, ugly fruit most often in our own lives. Also, we have instruct, teach, admonish one another, live in harmony with one another, honor, submit to, be humble with one another, carry each other's burdens, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. We're told what not to do, to stop passing judgment on one another, biting and devouring each other, becoming conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not lie to each other. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. One of the healthiest uh, studies that you could probably do either, either as a community or as an individual is to just go through those one another commands and ask the question, what would it look like to intentionally live into this way of life? In Acts 2, we see a group of a community, this early spirit-filled community of faith, learning what it means to live into this way of life together. If you want to turn to Acts 2, actually, you could just pull, I think we have it on the screen there. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's this beautiful picture of this community coming to Christ and then being forged together as family. But we see in that first line, and I give you this, and again, this is a a, a tool to, to process, not just simply an interesting idea. But if we see this community of faith as a a table community where just as important as the time in the temple together was the time around the table together and I really do believe in the church in our world today we've lost that priority of the table and prioritize what happens in the temple but if you can imagine that as a table with four legs what does that table community look like (laughs) Forgive my amazing art. There are four things. Again, as a diagnostic, how am I leaning into these things? The first is the teaching of the apostles. So it's been the stories of Jesus, and we see even from the apostles' teaching in Acts and through the rest of the New Testament that it was saturated in the Old Testament scriptures, in the Torah, in the Psalms, in the prophets, that they saw fulfilled in the life of Jesus all the things the Bible had been pointing to. And they saw from the life of Jesus this life that they were called to live. And they surrounded themselves, saturated themselves with these stories so they would know how to live this life that God intended. But it's not just simply the teaching, the stories of Jesus and the stories leading and pointing to Jesus that they would have spent time around. We have lots of Bible studies that are great on teaching and miss the other three. And this is super important. The next word there is koinonia. It means fellowship. But this is what's important about that fellowship. That word literally means shared participation. And in the Roman world, they would have understood that the primary act of fellowship was what? Eating together. It was a shared meal. Because they believed, their worldview was something sacred and spiritual happened when you shared a meal with somebody. That's why they were very intentional about who you invited to the table. And in that world, it was actually a very class-divided table. You would not share your table with somebody of a lower class, which is why Jesus totally turned the whole thing upside down when he, when he said, invite everyone to your table. Everyone share a table, not just Jew and Gentile, but go out into the streets and find the poor and the lost and the needy. Invite them to your table. Don't take the seat of honor at a banquet. Take the lower seat at a banquet. And those that are lower, exalt them at the higher seat at a banquet. All of these things that Jesus taught was about bringing everyone to the table because something spiritual happened in one another's lives at the table. This is also why Paul was so adamant about not eating food sacrificed to idols because it was believed that when you're at a meal, you're participating with, you're becoming one with those you shared a meal with. 
This is like super serious. So that's why if you shared a meal with idols or at the temple, you're becoming one with the gods at the table, which is why when Jesus shared communion, why communion became such a massive event, because it wasn't just we're eating dinner together. It is we are becoming one with those that we are sharing the table with, which includes each other and Jesus. And so when we take communion, communion was never intended to be primarily an individual act about personal salvation. Communion was meant to be a corporate act about what Jesus was doing in the world for the community, that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, not just me, that we, that God had broke his, uh, that God's body was broken for us, not just for me. This is a really big deal that we've lost. And so this fellowship, this shared meal, but then he also specifically says the breaking of bread, which would have been communion. Ah. Well, there we go. Breaking bread. Because it is in the act of communion that regular reminder of the presence of Christ with them and the common Holy Spirit in them, that yes, they would receive, that they would remember the forgiveness of sins in Christ, but also it was in that space that they would forgive one another. I take communion and the act of communion, if there's anything that is separating me from you, we deal with that and then we come to the table. How transformative would that be if we lived that way as a community today. That even as we sang and prayed before we took that bread, we searched our hearts and said, God, is there anything I'm holding on to, a wound or an offense by my brother or a place that I have wounded or offended or grieved somebody else? Let me go deal with that before I come to the table here because I recognize in this bread is the forgiveness of sins for us all and I receive, so therefore I also give. And then lastly, the prayers that space that we bring our hearts and our needs, our requests and our desires before God together for one another. And we see this as the regular rhythm of their lives. Go back to that verse. What we see is that it was day by day, both in the temple, this rhythm, it's not one or the other, it's the both and, the shared corporate celebration of faith, but also the intimate table fellowship but it's not just simply, again, up and in with God and with one another. What do we see? That they had favor with all the people. They were living their lives in such a way that what? Many were being added to their number day by day. They were engaged with the world, with this common life together. So why don't we live this way? And this is what we'll end with. Why don't we live this way? I mean, these are all great ideas, and I don't think there's anyone here that's probably going, I don't know, I agree with this. It's too radical for me, this witch doctrine theology you got going on. No, I mean, it's simple. We all know it, right? Like, we, we know this, amen? So why don't we do it? Well, one, I, I think that we're scared. I think we're scared to be known. I know I am. I mean, I, I genuinely, if I'm very honest, like it's way more, it's way easier for me to be up here on a stage 
which I know to some people that seems terrifying. This is way easier than sitting around a table and actually opening my heart to the places that I'm struggling or that I feel sad or that I, I feel lost or I don't know what to do. I think we're scared to be known. I think we're scared that if we open our homes or our hearts that people will reject us. They'll look down on us. I don't think we're just scared. I think we're busy. We're distracted. I honestly, and I mean, I'm going to sound like an old man. I do think that the iPhone was, is one of Satan's greatest inventions. <laughs> I think there's a reason that Apple is the symbol, is the Apple with a bite out of it. That's an old, old symbol, isn't it? Of an ancient deceiver. And I have an iPhone, and I love it. But I also know there's a whole lot of wasted time about a lot of stupid stuff that actually isn't building anything of value into my lives or my relationships. And so there's a challenge actually on the back of that page for you, if you're willing to take it. If you take any kind of financial uh, advising course, when you finally look at your life, you're like, how in the world did we get here? We're so in debt, or we don't have enough money, or where did our money go? They would say, the first thing you do is take account, right? Just look, where did your money go? Well, time is a valuable asset that we all have the same amount of. Do you know where your time goes? Who you give your time to? So here's the challenge. As we move beyond fear and busyness to actually live intentionally into the things that we think that we say would give our lives the most value and meaning to not live this epidemic lonely life, but a life that's flourishing, filled with hope and joy and peace. I mean, who doesn't want that? Well, what are we filling our lives with? The things that we say we know will lead us in that direction? Or Netflix and TikTok. Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook. And so this is the challenge. Take account of your time for one week. If you're willing to look in that painful mirror and just be honest, just in little 30 minute increments, what'd you do? And don't add any value to it. I mean, don't, and don't you know, judge it. Just, just be honest with it. And then at the end of it, block it out. How much time did I actually spend doing these things? And did the majority of my time go to the things that I would say are actually the most important to me? Now, here's the way to flip that, is then after you've done your accounting is to start from the other end. What do I think is most important? What do I want to say yes to? Because every yes is 100 no's. And then how do I intentionally build into that schedule and then let the rest of life fall around it? But the challenge is simply to start first with just take account. Are you willing to do that? To take an honest look for one week, where did your time go? I also think that two of the other reasons is that one, we're scared, we're busy, distracted. The third is we're wounded. You've, some of you carry some legitimate hurts from the church, from letting people into your life that have betrayed you, turned their back on you. And I think that's why the Bible over and over again says, forgive each other, bear with each other, be kind to one another. You're wounded, you've been let down. There's pain, there's grievance, there's unforgiveness. And what do you need to take to Jesus? Where do you need him to heal so that you can step forward into wholeness? 
And so I don't want to minimize that reality. But you, the first step to healing is honesty, and you can't move towards healing without, alone without being known. And then lastly, we don't know where to begin. Maybe we got four things that we would know how to engage with each other around the table, but how do we begin to live this outward life? And so there's one last tool that I want to give you that I've just recently somebody has shared with me uh, that has been super uh, cool in my life. Because I, I, I would say, like, I want, to ha- I want to engage my neighbors, but where do I start? And I think we start with prayer. And so there's some people that just took some publicly available tools and made them intentional. And, uh, and so if you'll throw up this blesseveryhome.com, if you go to blesseveryhome.com slash Grace Monroe, uh, it, it just will connect you to our community of faith. They, we call them lights in the neighborhood. And, uh, and what you can do is you can sign up for blesseveryhome.com um, and you'll get an email of uh, the people that live in the, around you. You put your address in. I mean, it's all like private. They're not gonna spam you. You just get an email a day uh, with a prayer to pray and a list of five names of your neighbors. So you go on to that next slide. So this is what I get. So I, I mean, if I go to my bless every home, uh, that's, that's me, uh, the, the little dot that says you. Um, next to David Street Antiques. So I said I wanted 50 people to be praying for. So the red dots are the 50 people that um, are on my prayer list that I'm intentionally praying for by name. And so I get five of them every day and, uh, and just pray for them by name and pray the verse that they give uh, with me in that email. But how amazing would it be? I mean, let's just start there, right? I don't know where that will go. I'd love to, that my hope is that as I'm praying um, for the people that live around me, that God will give me encounters and opportunities to have conversations and get to know them and have them over for dinner. Um, and so that's, uh, but that first step is let's be people that just pray for our neighbor. We want to live an outward life. And it's like, I don't know anyone that doesn't go to church with me. Well, there you go. Um, so you can go on if you want to be a part of that. But I encourage you to be praying. So I give you all this because we're coming to Romans 16. Romans can be a book that is understood to be like deeply theological. I don't think Paul ever meant it that way. I think Paul meant it to be deeply practical. And so wanting to live into this intentionally as a church family. So I want to pray for us. And then we're going to worship together as we close our time together. And in worship, as we do each week, we're going to take communion. And we invite you to take communion. But I encourage you before you come and take that bread of communion, that Jesus who took the bread at Passover and said, this is my body, this symbol of redemption that you've held on to for thousands of years was all pointing to me. It's my body broken for you. And then he took that cup, that cup, that Passover cup, symbolized the blood of the lamb, poured out over the doorposts, blood of salvation leading from slavery to freedom. And Jesus said, actually, for thousands of years, this has always pointed to me. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But I encourage you before you take of the bread and dip in the cup is to search your heart. Lord, is there anything in me that I need to confess and be honest with you about? God, is there any place of unforgiveness or grievance that I need to release and let go? Is there anyone that I need to go 
intentionally forgive or to go bless, to go hug, to go receive? God, is there anything going on in my heart that would keep me separated from you or separated from this community, this family you've invited me into? So we'll search our heart, encourage you to come kneel and pray. I'll invite our ministry team forward to come pray over us if there's anything you want somebody to pray for you with, uh, to pray about. And so just close your eyes and just take a breath. I know we've talked about a lot of things. But if you're willing, just as you take that breath, just to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to know? What are you inviting me into? How are you asking me to respond? And so Lord, we give you this space and this time that your word living and active would penetrate our hearts and our lives. And God, we pray that we would be inspired by these stories of old to live into the power of them for today. It wouldn't just simply be about the early believers or Paul and his companions. It would define who we are, how we live. And I pray for your sons and daughters in this room that you're forming together into brothers and sisters. God, may we go forward filled by your spirit in a way that's an open invitation to a world that so desperately needs your love and grace. And so Lord Jesus, speak into our hearts and our lives right now as we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.